0: He gets a lot of flack, but he did such amazing things around bringing to the forefront, you know, looking at our unconscious. So, I'm a visual person. So, if you picture an iceberg, right, 90% of that iceberg is under the water and you don't see it. You know, there's this 10, sometimes maybe 20% that you see above the surface. His metaphor, you know, that's our everything under the water is our unconscious. Everything above the water is what we're conscious of. But we think in our conscious world that we're, driving our decisions and we're, you know, moving this iceberg where it's going to go, but where's all the power, right? It's all under the surface.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter, and I'm here with my co-host, Marnie duchess Marmet.
2: We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest, and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge.
1: We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired.
2: Hello and welcome to Episode 74 of the Art of Living Well podcast. Before we dive into today's episode, we have a few announcements for our podcast community. Stephanie and I have been on the new audio-based social media app called Clubhouse and we've been hosting a room each Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central. We love this platform because it allows us to interact live with our audience and people that we're talking to and we've been talking about a number of different topics, um, including emotional eating and sugar addiction and how to have a healthy relationship with food. And this platform really allows people to interact and ask questions and share their stories. And so we've really enjoyed interacting with people on this app if you need an invitation please reach out to us and we would be happy to help you get on the app we also want to ask that if you're enjoying our podcast if you could please leave us a five-star rating and review on apple podcasts it takes just two minutes and it really helps us reach more people so others can benefit from our inspiring conversations and resources that we share each week if you enjoy the episode we'd also love if you would share it with a friend family member or anyone who you may think would benefit from the information and now we are thrilled to bring you today's guest dr gertrude lyons dr gertrude lyons is the lead faculty member senior life coach and director of family programs for the Wright foundation for the realization of human potential Dr. Lyons is a leading-edge trainer and educator in human emergence, lifestyle, parenting, leadership development, career, relationship satisfaction and success, and women's development. And through her work, she inspires people to take control of their own personal transformations. She has made it her mission to challenge traditional notions of mothering by facilitating raw, open conversations around mothering, womanhood, and parenthood that no one else is having. She has spent her last 18 years empowering individuals, couples, parents, and families to bring out their best selves through helping them realize meaningful, successful lives with the aim of bringing new perspectives on personal transformation to as many people as possible. Today, Dr. Lyons is on a mission to help women reclaim their lives through mothering and create a safe space where women can express their dreams, fears, and truths around motherhood. We are all mothers, and together we can support and empower one another to be the best version of ourselves. Dr. Gertrude Lyons is rewriting The Mother Code. We loved this conversation with Gertrude where we really dove into the ideas of motherhood and mothering and about being willing to make mistakes and develop your own standards for success and not comparing yourselves to other mothers and really figuring out what your own feminine power is and what mothers can do to grow with their children. But before we dive into this powerful and thought-provoking conversation, let's hear a word from one of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by our wonderful sponsor, Appetite for Change. Appetite for Change is a nonprofit in North Minneapolis that uses food as a tool for health, wealth, and social change. This year, in light of COVID and the unrest in Minneapolis, Appetite for Change has continued to ground themselves in their mission and center their work around community connection and nourishing food. They launched a pilot
1: program called Community Cooks Meal Boxes, which provides fresh produce and pantry items, plus two recipes for over 300 families at no cost to the family. The program has been such a success that it has been extended for another six weeks and will continue into 2021. AFC has utilized the kitchens of their two restaurants, Breaking Bread Cafe and Station 81 to produce over 200,000 meals that have been distributed across the Twin Cities to healthcare workers, seniors, and families in need.
2: In addition, they have seven farm plots across North Minneapolis that are tended to by community members and Appetite for Change youth learning how to grow a variety of plants. These fresh fruits and vegetables are distributed throughout the North Side. Even in 2021, Appetite for Change is committed to building a more equitable food system by delivering fresh and nourishing food to healthcare workers, seniors, and families in need, tending urban gardens, and more.
1: We have been collaborating with Appetite for Change over this past year, and we have loved their dedication to their mission, and we so look forward to volunteering with their organization and working with them more in 2021. To learn more about Appetite for Change, listen to episode 31 of our podcast with one of their founders,
2: Michelle Horowitz. For more information or to donate, head on over to appetiteforchangemn.org backslash impact or on Instagram and Facebook at Appetite for Change. Gertrude, thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast today. You are a fellow Hey Mama member, and we're so excited to share your energy, knowledge, and inspiration about redefining what it means to be a mother with our listeners.
0: Well, I am absolutely thrilled, not just as a Hey Mama co-member, but in general, to be with the two of you. It's a real privilege and honor. Thank you.
2: Absolutely. So, everyone has a story, and we'd love for you to share your journey and how you are a professional life coach who is focused on exploring, demystifying, and democratizing the maternal power that lives in all women.
0: Well, it's, you know, do you have all day, right? Because
2: <laughs> <laughs> how long do we have, right? The abbreviated for the story. The abbreviated
0: <laughs> story, right? It's always a little challenging, but. Um, when you say like as a life coach, um, a couple of things I'll highlight there because uh, that really, that whole journey, my journey in my own personal development, which then led to me being a life coach came when my husband and I got engaged when I was literally 23. Seem can't even believe that now because I have a 24-year-old daughter um, and my boss recommended that when I got engaged, we do premarital at that time, coaching didn't even exist. So it was counseling therapy. And I had no idea what he was even talking about. Like what, why would somebody do that? Like I have the love of my life, you know, and, and everything's going to be wonderful. It's all going to be great. Why do why why do we need to stir anything up, but something, and I'm so grateful for those following those nudges or inklings that we have of like, huh, Well, if I look for a second and say, you know, look at my parents' marriage, which was on the brink of divorce and shortly divorced after my husband and I got married and my husband's family, his um, mom was twice divorced and, you know, in both families, alcoholism and, you know, all these like things started kind of rolling forward. I'm like, oh, well, if that was my model, maybe there is, maybe it does, maybe there are things you should learn about. (laughs) Uh, being married and knowing the divorce rate and all of that stuff. So I literally wrote a letter to my husband because we didn't have email at that time, right? This is 1989 um, because we'll be celebrating 31 years in June. um, Wrote him a letter saying, hey, what do you think if we like talk to this guy? And um, he's like, are you crazy? Like what, you know, do you have skeletons in your closet? So I'm saying all this because, you know, sometimes we have that urge to like, want more, do more. And we don't always follow it, but I'm super grateful. We did. My husband said yes, which is another like miracle, uh, of miracles. And we sat in that first session and to have somebody, you know, hear our stories and then be able to reflect back like, Oh, like it must've been like this in your family or, you know, I'd never experienced something like the awakening of looking at yourself and understanding yourself so that you can have, um, relationship that can work and that's basically what our our coach and who's later become my boss said at the time was you know we'll start off we'll get you a vision for your marriage together but then it's up to you to do your individual work so that journey just has had so many ups and downs and we've been so many places Um, but the consistent through line has been always a commitment to our own growth and development our own coaching our own Um, you know, individually and as a couple over this, you know, over this whole period of time. But then the mothering came, I've raised two daughters, really tried to do that as consciously as possible. As I was now shifted careers, and I'm director of a family program at the Wright Foundation for the Realization of Human Potential. I'm training other, you know, and other women. But it wasn't until my kids were nearing the time to leave the home that I realized that somewhere along the way I had started leaving myself out of this growth equation, right? It became all about the kids and it became about them having the best life possible and my husband's business succeeding. And I really did. um, And not until I stopped and there's a whole story behind how that came up, but really reflected back and looked at how I had left myself behind. And so I didn't want that when I hit that regret and remorse, I wanted something different for other women. That led me to my master's and doctoral in transformational leadership and coaching, which highlights the transformational opportunity in mothering. And then that has become this movement, you know, this space that I'm really trying to expand and explore for women around this transformational opportunity that I call rewriting the mother code. So I, that was still long, but it was a lot shorter. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Could be. laughs> no, that was perfect. And I loved hearing your story. And I, I'm so in awe, actually, at the age of, I think you said 23, 24, when you got yes. engaged, that you had these pretty deep conversations with your husband or your fiance at the time. And that someone gave you this great advice to go talk to someone else, right? Yeah. And, you know, just having this vision for your marriage. That's not something that a lot of people talk about.
0: No, At and all. even 30 years later, it's you know, coaching's more, you know, it's it's a little more oh you know, mainstream, okay. maybe yeah, mainstream. Yeah. <laughs> but back then, you know, forget it. This it, only meant something was wrong, and you only did that if you had serious problems and this whole preventative, like, you know, let's not just avoid, you know, the worst case scenarios. How do we actually have a fulfilling successful relationship? Like that just, you know was mind boggling, you know, to me, but we did it, you know, and and I'm so grateful. I following those urges and inklings. Yes.
1: That's awesome. So that in of awesome. itself is congratulations yeah, great. on your yeah, congratulations on years on... of
2: marriage. I know.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um and it, you know, it's helped you along your journey to where you are today, right?
2: So- Everything.
0: You know, the good, the bad and the ugly, right? Like it's it, I I don't think I could be doing what i'm doing if like i was sitting there trying to say like oh and we did it all so perfectly and it was just this blissful ride i mean no it was like messy and hard and um you know this whole losing myself and my children i'm like you know a little bit on the verge of tears right now just when i think about that cost of that you know and how it could be different and what would have happened if i hadn't but you know it's never way you know a waste if we decide we're going to keep growing
1: ourselves and and share it with others
0: well and, and, I think and she, it had you not
1: been through that experience and losing yourself you wouldn't be doing what you're doing today right exactly exact platform
2: exactly. so and i was just going to add to that i think that you saying even losing yourself you know to your children that's so common Right. I mean, so that happens to so many women, even unintentionally, like you said, you throw yourself into your kids because you want to, right. I know. And somewhere along the way, it, you can get lost. Yeah. And I think we've all experienced that at least for moments in in oh, for sure. motherhood. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's what kind of led to, you know, I have 14 myths of motherhood and at least three of them revolve around the fact of, of, you know, the myth that um, you know, your children come first and then your relationship and then your career and then you, right. Um, as opposed to what it means to put yourself first and what, what does that look like and what can that look like? But it's, you know, we're wired as women to care. So that's a beautiful thing, but unless we mother ourselves and care about
1: ourselves, it's, we're not as available
0: right Mm -hmm. and we want to
1: dive into those codes and everything but can we just back up one second can you explain to everyone what's the difference between motherhood and mothering and how are you trying to change our ideas about motherhood
0: yeah and it's it's um and what i'm hoping to do is expand um our scope our vision you know the potential in this powerful aspect uh, I consider it kind of a feminine value or quality because it can extend even, you know, to men or the, the masculine in a way, but mothering as a, to, so motherhood, I distinguish as the raising of children, right? Like that job, that particular choice that we make and how we, something we're going to mother in our life, right? And there's a whole myriad of choices and everything that goes along with that, but we don't just mother children, you know, we, we mother anything that we choose to put our heart and care into our careers our our other relationships our you know our husband but our dreams and our ideas you know anything that comes in our purview that we you know conceive create and can give birth to i put in the mothering realm you know but motherhood is for sure its own distinct experience of mothering and I always, you know, kind of want to make that clear, you know, that aspect, I'm not trying to say it's it's ever like the same thing, right? But there's so many parallels. And one of the, the reasons for that for me is, you know, so that we as women don't feel like, because, you know, you're not a woman unless you mother a child or you're not, you know, uh, but, and it also brings us all more on one team. And I think our call is, you know, to consciousness as women to be, to come together and be on one team as women, this, this is a place that we can meet, you know, and not divide.
2: I love that. So um, diving in a, li- a little deeper to mothering, can we talk about the three codes of mothering that you kind of go over? I think it's the childhood codes, cultural codes and cosmic codes.
0: Yeah, well, and I'll, I'll kind of reverse order it because we really just spoke about the cosmic code, which is the expanded definition, you know, and changing and and really, kind of blowing up the uh, the paradigm that we have that limits us, you know, as women when we just think of it so narrowly. Um, but the childhood code. So, you know, when we look at this bigger spectrum of mothering, you know, we're wired in our childhoods um, by our closest caregivers, right? Um, generally, you know, that if if we speak generally, if it's your birth mother or adoptive mother. Um, But sometimes it's not the mother you know there's someone else that takes over your caregiving so you know without uh but the people that you're spending the most time with is what wires us you know not only what we think the job of mothering is what mothering is but how to do it you know right and wrong ways um and we really want to bring to consciousness you know uh, are as much as we can around what those beliefs are. Some of them are mistaken beliefs. Some of them are ones that, you know, are, are negative and things that we say, like, I'm, I'm going to definitely not do that. Right. So we call that reacting. Um, that's a reactive choice then around our childhood codes, or, you know, something was, you know, I don't see anything wrong, and I'm just going to kind of do what what I know to do, what I was raised to do. But we're not really making a, a fully conscious choice unless we separate those out, really look at them, and see what's driving our choices. Right? It's um, I always use the metaphor of an iceberg. Are you familiar with that metaphor? The our Freud Freud was the first one. Freud. He gets a lot of flack, but he did such amazing things around bringing to the forefront, you know, looking at our unconscious. So, I'm a visual person. So, if you picture an iceberg, right, um, 90% of that iceberg is under the water and you don't see it. You know, there's this 10, sometimes maybe 20% that you see above the surface. So, his metaphor, you know, that's our everything under the water is our unconscious. Everything above the water is what we're conscious of, but we think in our conscious world that we're driving our decisions and we're, you know, moving this iceberg where it's going to go, but where's all the power, right? It's all under the surface. And I just think that it's, it's a little daunting, but also really hopeful to think like, wow, you know, what's under there? You know, there's so much to explore and so much that can just show us um, about the choices and decisions that we're making. I'm sorry, I was thinking about one other thing with the the childhood code, sorry, that I wanted to say about that is to to give an example, like I I hear so many women will say like, oh, I know I want to have kids, right? Like that's just common. Or they'll say like, I know I definitely don't want to have kids, but they kind of leave it at that. Like, it's just something I've known since I was three or, you know, and and that. But I have found that until you really dig in, you know, sometimes I think I, I really want to, but it's not happening or I don't want to that's the kind of thinking that we have that we think we just know but once we explore it it's really useful to see like where did that choice come from or where did that come from so i wanted to share that example of how that could work
2: well and it also makes me think of how people you know some women just get married and have babies and they don't even think about it because that's just the way it is right mm-hmm. you get married and you have your babies and that's that's what we're programmed to do yep
0: which leads us to the cultural, right? So you're asking mm-hmm. about the cultural code. So, oh my God, right? Like so first of all, the frame mothering is a cultural, you know, construct, right? So if you um I always encourage women to explore the field of mothering, right? And like it's history and the mythology around it, um to kind of understand that we sit in a particular place that's saying, this is how you mother, you know, or this is. How you in if in motherhood, you know this is how you raise children, and this is how you should feel and what you should do. I mean, how many books, you know, and and experts are out there to tell us what the right way is. It's it's mind boggling, right? And um, and we're also very new culturally to yes, we have, you know, just what since the '70s that birth control really became a thing to say we have choice and whether we want to have a child or not. Um, but it's still not, you know, ask any woman who's chosen not to have a child, how often she's asked, why don't you have children? Oh, oh, okay. And the, ju- you know, whether it's a spoken judgment or a felt, you know, judgment, they're they're strong and still there. And we're, it's gonna take some time, you know, to disrupt those, but unless we bring them to consciousness, we, we won't know, right? So we'll, um, so the thinking that there's a right way or you know what you decide is the right way and that's everything from you know if you're going to have children and how you're going to raise them and am, am i going to work and all these things that cause so much strife we ha- it's really good to unpack like how much of that is driven culturally um, in our choices versus coming from within
1: Yeah. I mean, I love, I love this. I love these three codes. So how do you work with people either individually or one-on-one to really like, you know, debunk kind of go deep for that individual into these codes and how that's um, impacted their lives? Exactly. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a
0: great question because, and it's one of the things when I was doing my, um, doctoral studies. And what I did for that was I, I I did a curriculum evaluation study. So I put together a curriculum, a 12-hour, at that time, a 12-hour workshop training specifically for women who didn't have kids um, to explore this topic, right? And what I noticed in you know preparing for that and looking at the literature and all that, there's a lot around the theory of mothering, but not a lot about applied so if I come to these new discoveries or you know I think I want to do this how do you do it and it's something I really value about um the Wright Foundation that I've talked about in the Wright Graduate University which is where I got my doctorate is it's an a, it's an applied um you know paradigm psychology theory you know theoretical where we have assignments and we have models of transformation you know there's something that i teach or train the people i work with called the right developmental model and it you know it, it looks very complex when you see a picture of it it's this stair t- step kind of theoretical it, you know I, I kind of shied away from it for years you know and our founder dr bob Wright, who founded it you know it's like this model's amazing and i'm like it looks really way too complicated for me until i had to study it um but what it's the, it's a map and it's a map of consciousness and it allows you to find yourself so as you're exploring you know some of these unconscious things and you're becoming aware of them and then you're in interactions or you're making choices and feelings come up you can see you know where where was i at developmentally and what am i feeling as i'm making these choices so that i can um, understand, you know, where my choices are coming from, and then um, apply a a principle of, um, you know, an existential principle, for example, of choice, you know, and that it's my choice, I get to decide, even though my upbringing would say this, I can make a new choice, but I'm going to have to practice that choice. And then there would, there would be assignments around how to you know, once you've explored a mistaken belief or somewhere where you're, you know, you've been limited in your thinking, then we have a series of assignments to help you practice it. Because we have to build new muscles and new wiring, you know, to replace some of that old wiring, we call it your matrix, you know, the Mm -hmm. matrix you developed as a child, we need to understand what it is. And then through um, assignments, and, um, you know, we can talk about some examples of that. But, you know, through assignments and sorts of ways um then we can practice living the different way
2: interesting so there really are rewiring you know their thought process and their brain process and you kind of walk the the person through that i'm assuming yeah exactly you know
0: such a big part of it is the awareness right the exploration
2: um Mm -hmm. it it
0: does mean looking back you know we we don't want to dwell in our childhoods but there's a lot of really good data there you know and why we operate the way we operate, and, you know, um, and then once we see what those are, we can decide, well, which one of these are working for me, and, you know, and which one of the of them aren't, they worked for us as children, so to say that, right, we come up with some of these behaviors or this thinking, because it's what worked in our family system, it's, you know, how we chose to be, you know, from a survival sort of construct, right, but now as adults, we forget that we have more choice, right? It's kind of being let out of a cage, but you're so used to being in that cage, you just kind of stay in that small framework um, to then discover that you have a lot more choices and there's other ways to be, but you, you need support and, and you know, kind of guidelines on what are some ways that I can take steps, you know, small steps that lead to bigger change that will launch me into those new, that new thinking or those new behaviors.
1: I love so, this. I love this whole like topic about diving into your past, but not letting that define who you are. Because we do have all these programs, you know, like the Matrix that you talked about, yeah. Um, and rebuilding, and the fact that you can that you work with people to really do some some practical applications mm-hmm. um, to reprogram your brain. Um, and I know one of the things that you've talked about, kind of personally, if you want to share, is sure. your on your own podcast is your 27 years of sobriety and kind of a little bit about how you made that decision quite a long time ago based on what you knew and yeah. your, your husband about your own upbringings.
0: No, thanks. Um, yeah, that was, uh, that came about because I was th- at that time in one of our programs at the Wright Foundation, it's called uh, the tr- our transformational lab, where, you know, you put yourself in, um, this exploration and are given assignments to practice, right? And somebody in the group I was in uh, decided or was given an assignment, like to for a period of time of no drinking, right? And I was like, oh, you know, that's interesting. I hadn't really, you know, of course, I was aware, you know, my mom is a recovering alcoholic. You know, as I said, you know, Rich's, uh, my husband's father, stepfather, you know, um, and beyond all had drinking issues. So it was, I knew it was prevalent in our family, but it was kind of more out of curiosity. Like, I wonder, I I don't, you know, think it's that big of an issue for me. And uh, I discovered when, so I said, I just kind of self gave myself that assignment, you know, and said, I'm going to do this too. And my first weekend doing it, we were with Rich's family and I, I literally got sick. You know, I, I, it's hit me so deeply, like what it was like to like be in that family for a whole weekend and not drink was, um, super stirring, you know, super upset. I'm like, wow. Like if, if this is the impact, it feels like to just say no for this weekend, uh, this, I guess this is a bigger issue than I thought, you know, cause I consider myself a social drinker or whatnot. So, you know, it was, it was more, you know, kind of, I didn't say like, oh, from now on, I'm never going to drink. It was like, well, let's keep doing this. And so then what happened was I found so many positives out of it, the clarity, right? The like, oh, I have my whole weekend back. And I was one of those people that couldn't have one drink without feeling it the next day. And I could wake up in the morning and feel clear and refreshed. So all these positives started happening, but then I started pointing the, the light at my husband. And that was a little bit longer journey um and there's a number of stories regarding that he was a little more resistant uh to it but he saw his own things over the course of probably a couple years where we both came to the conclusion you know like this is one of those things like we could do like you know moderate and whatnot but why you know we we love how we feel when we when we're not drinking and and we're in our twenties again. Remember, like this is he—he's just out of grad school. Um, you know we're we're in that very hep social, you know, scene. We're young consultants in Chicago. Like, it was it was a very much again against the uh, societal norm, but we just kept focusing on how much it brought us together. We were, you know, re- being able to relate to each other more genuinely, more authentically. You know, without alcohol. And, and so we just kind of kept saying yes to it. And then at one point said, like, I, I think we could just say we're not ever going to drink again, <laughs> you know, and I, I don't know what will change our mind on that. So it's, it's
2: just been a lifestyle choice that we've made that we've been really happy with. And how did that affect your relationships? I'm just curious. I'm doing, I'm actually doing dry January right now. Oh yeah. Um, I, just for. I'm, I'm not a huge drinker, even not doing dry January, yeah. but because my dad is also a recovering alcoholic. And so I'm very sensitive to mm-hmm. alcohol in general. Um, but I just thought, Oh, I'm going to do dry January. Cause why not? And, um, and you're probably been, noticing you know, things and learning things. I mean, a you little bit But I, like I said, I'm not a huge drinker to begin with. So it hasn't, I enjoy a nice glass of red wine Mm -hmm. or white wine, but it's not a huge part of my life on a daily basis. Sure. But I do notice other people around me and how their behaviors are affected by my not drinking. I I find that interesting.
0: It's super interesting. And that was, you know, a a bit unex, maybe not totally unexpected, but, um, really something that we had to navigate and sort through. And, you know, uh, in general, one of the things that we noticed was, you know, at the beginning when we were still kind of uncomfortable with it and, and weren't, you know, sure. And, you know, it was, it was new, um, that the more kind of uncomfortable and not like fully committed to it yet we were, was the more uncomfortable other people were. That was interesting. Right. And once we became like, yeah, this is, you know, who we are, how we are, like we got much less of a, of a reaction, but, um, it was, you know, at that time and challenging just to, to notice and then, you know, not judge. I I also will admit that like, probably in the first like few years of doing this, I was a little bit of, a um, overzealous advocate (laughs) 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 and, you know, thought like, this is so great. Everyone should do it. You know, why don't you try, you know? And. I, I, I think, you know, that understandably would, would cause ripple effects, but I think it just puts into light, like it's so normal and, you know, common that when someone isn't, it's just like, oh, you know, wow. And then it, it kind of, in some way forces us again, unconsciously, unconsciously to say like, I wonder what that would be like for me or what are my, you know, what's, but I, yeah. And to be perfectly honest, like, I think people that, unknowingly or knowingly struggle with it a bit, um, were the ones that had the biggest reactions, you know, and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah. it was and and, you know, some that just were I had to get mad at a few people, like when I said, you know, that persistently offered alcohol to us. Um, no matter how much I said, you know, we don't drink. And I just finally had to get really mad at a couple of them. Like, please yes. s- just stop. Like we're, you know, it, what, why? Um, uh, but I think again, it's like their discomfort, that unconscious kind of behavior on their part. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, Absolutely. You know. Well, thank it's you. Usually it's more of them, not you, you know, it's I know. you're dealing yeah, exactly. with something,
0: right? Yeah. And you have to keep that, you know, for sure in perspective, um, that, I, and that's some of, when I talked about this developmental model is to like noticing, you know, that, that upset in myself and other people's negative responses, like how, am I going to deal with that myself, you know, and how Mm -hmm. am I going to stay true to myself in the midst, in the, in the midst of that?
2: Thank you for sharing that personal story with us. And now we will take a quick break from this episode to hear a word from our sponsor. Have you been thinking about a new home build remodel, or even rework of a smaller space in your home? We have all spent more time in our homes over the past year, and many people are trying to recreate spaces in their homes to bring more joy and functionality to fit their lifestyles. It can be really hard to know where to turn, but Sarah and Marcy, co-founders of Chisel Architecture, are the experts that will help you gain clarity and confidence around your project.
1: One of the unique aspects of Chisel Architecture that sets them apart from others is their trademark design approach called Pattern of Life. This approach is a game changer for homeowners and how they experience the design process. Marcy and Sarah really listen to you to fully understand your needs and advocate for you during both the design and implementation process. When you think about your home environment and how it supports you, Chisel Architecture believes your overall well-being should be in the mix.
2: Sarah and Marcy want you to live well in your home. Because they are so passionate on their design approach, they have a special offer for our listeners. Book a two-hour consultation and receive $50 off
1: simply email them at hello at chiselarc.com. That's at H-E-L-L-O at dot com, And mention the Art of Living Well podcast to receive your $50 off. Consultations must be booked by June 30th to take advantage of this offer.
2: I'm wondering if we can change gears a little bit and talk about guilt and mom guilt. And maybe we can debunk some of the myths surrounding mom guilt.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, earlier on, as we talked about this whole, I think the one underlying factor around mom guilt is, you know, these social constructs and particularly in our day and age of the right way to mom, right? And and then tying in also that whole, like, we're, you know, we, we definitely... You know, find and have allies and other women. But when it's so driven by our own insecurity that it, it, you know, our judgment of others comes across, comes out so much stronger than it needs to be as we try and justify our own um, choices, you know, in our mothering. So that, you know, that absolutely doesn't help. And, and how do we, um, mute or lessen the the force of other people's judgments on us, because that's where so much of the guilt comes, right? Is, is feeling like we're not doing it right, or we're not living up to someone else's standards. And it could be mother, mother-in-law, friends, you know, it's, it's a lot, oftentimes those standards, and then we feel guilty for making the choices that we're making. So that's like one way, right? So it, and this is where I haven't, you know, talked about necessarily And something that in the course of, whether it's coaching or, you know, in workshops that a key factor in, in any of these and in anything we're taking on in life is having a vision, right? When I said that about our couple, like what's, what's my vision for myself as a mother, you know, and in my mothering or in my motherhood, you know, what, what is it that I feel like my job is, what, what am I claiming, you know, and, and then sorting through, like, where, where does that come from and coming to some of those, um, cause tell you, and then you, as, you know, if you're in a, in a couple kind of come to what your standards are, you know, and what, what it means to have a, a successful functioning family, um, then you can measure against those, right. And you can have a vision that you're, that you're working toward um, and for yourself and then for the family. And then, you know, you're measuring against those standards versus like these social or family constructs that we, we think we're supposed to right? And, and then feel guilty about not meeting.
1: I love that. I love how you framed that because I don't think I've ever, I don't have to say ever, and probably in recent years have kind of have a vision, you know, for myself. But I think like just the way you said that, if you're going to measure yourself against your own standards, which is really the only set of standards that matter at the end of right. the day, right? Versus, right. Compa- you know, we, we grow up, I just think of myself in particular, and I think a lot of women comparing ourselves to others, I mean, and and also, you know, it's not just how we look, but, or our weight or, you know, what we're doing in life or who we're marrying or whatever it is, or how Mm -hmm. we're, how we're mothering. So, I mean, I'd be love to know more about like how you, how you help people get there, because I think that's really powerful. Once you have like your set of standards, then you're confident Mm -hmm. and comfortable in your own skin. And then that guilt, the guilt probably just sort of goes away.
2: And I I actually want to add one more thing to what you said, because I also have never thought about what is my vision for myself as a mother. And when I was thinking about that question, as you were talking, I was thinking about how when my kids were really little, I think that vision was very different than what it would be today having, you know, a kid in college and a kid in high school and a kid in middle school, like, like the vision will change over time. And maybe, you know, I'm going to have grandchildren someday and I, maybe <laughs> that's a big baby, exactly. but um, my vision will change again, like mothering adult children or, you know what I mean? So yeah, I love and that. So uh,
0: and I love that you're, you know, you're pointing out like the, because the fluidity of a vision, right. Or the expansion, expanding capacity of a vision. Um, and, but there might be through lines, you know, that, 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 kind of carry over in all of them in a vision. Like I I may, you know, in part of my vision, you know, recommend, but this has to be something any woman would have to choose, is that in all of them, I am going to uh my vision is that I mother myself, or my vision is that I am going to learn and grow and develop and grow myself up. Um, you know, use it as a vehicle for my own transformation. Um, you know, heal past wounds through it, that I'm engaged with myself as much as I am with my children in all these facets. Cause I, I will say for myself, like I had a stronger vision when they were little um, around my growth and development. When I say I, you know, lost myself, it's as they got a bit older and particularly as teenagers and, you know, it, that's where I really left myself um, and didn't hold on to this vision of transformation of myself, particularly because it was such a stirring time, you know, and I kind of just, I, I went from like, feeling like my job, my job is not to be their friend. It's to, you know, make them independent, strong adults. And if they don't like me great to suddenly like, Oh, I hope they like me. And I hope their friends like me. And, you know, um, not this like weirdly, like I want to be a cool parent, but enough of it where I, I know I didn't stay in my own power as a mother and we all kind of, you know, had challenges because of that. Um, so you know, maybe this, you know, there are some through lines, but it's going to look different and to stop and kind of reconsider at these different particular, you know, age ranges of children where they're so different, you know, and it's going to stir up and bring up new things that you, you know, you thought you had kind of handled, you know, with them at a certain age, you know, uh, but now is coming on at a whole nother level in a different age.
2: So true. (laughs) I mean, right? Yes, it's so. relatable and true. And there's so many moments throughout mothering or motherhood mm -hmm. where that can happen.
1: What's one thing, you know, kind of simple, practical that you can do to be focused a little bit more on yourself and your growth and development.
0: No, I think that's great. Um, So if we stick with the the vision area, you know, always when I first start working, even before we dive in deeply to exploring, you know, past history and, and all of that, I ask women to just literally set a timer for anywhere from two minutes to no more than five minutes and just let yourself flow of like, without overthinking, like what, what at this moment you feel like you're, you would name as your vision for yourself as a mother, you know, and, and what is and even open, and then an open-ended question, what is mothering? So that you can then kind of look at that and explore and What, you know, what do you like about what you wrote, you know, in, in the what is mothering and and is there parts of that that you want in your vision? So, you know, that's something anyone can do and then look at themselves and kind of explore, like, you know, how does this feel? What do I like about it? Make the distinction between a vision, which is, you know, the, how you want to feel, you know, principles, qualities of, of it versus a goal. They're not going to, it's not going to be so measurable or concrete, which, but we'll have goals that serve the vision. um, Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a next step in coming up with it, but that'll help illuminate where you might want to look and where some of the, how do I feel? How hard, how challenging will it be for me to live this vision and what will be in the way of me living this vision would then be, you know, next steps that, that you can take. And then I, I can give another like really practical thing that I love to always share whenever I'm talking about mothers and families and growing with your children, because we haven't really covered in, in another thing that we work on in the coaching and the and the programs is really reawakening and um, our awareness and our expression of our five emotions, of our of our core emotions and becoming much more, Friendly again with our um, emotional well-being, or you know, and what our emotions are to us. And those five emotions are fear, hurt, anger, sadness, and joy. So always, when I first say those, you know, people are like, "Well, why are four of them bad and one of them's good, right?" So that's like the first mistaken belief (laughs) we have about our emotions is that there's good ones and bad ones, right? They're they all have a function and power and can all lead us you know, more to know ourselves better and get closer to the people around us when they're used responsibly, right? So, you know, so much of our curriculum and, you know, what I introduce people to is revolves around getting it acclimated and, and reopening ourselves to that. So the assignment out of that one that I'll often, you know, pretty early on give an individual or parent, a, a mother is... Because it involves like an interaction with the child that benefits both of you, which is, you know, at some point in your day, usually we did this at, at dinner time with my family, and we'd play the feelings game. And so instead of saying how was your day, you know, to your kids, and then they just like fine, you know, good, bad, whatever, we would go through each of our days, naming somewhere where we felt each one of those five emotions, and you know, it, it, every time we did it, it, it illuminated and just brought, you know, if anything, like more color, we got to know each other better. And we're practicing identifying when we feel those emotions. It's really powerful, simple, but so powerful. And my husband I, and I, still, we do it ourselves. Like, you know, we have a, a discipline to do it, you know, a few times a week, just ourselves.
1: I love that. I mean, we do something, we just kind of say like, what's your high and what's your low? Yeah, and that's I been great. That but but I feel like we've been doing that now for like 10 years or whatever, you know, and it, they, they get in a little bit of a rut with it and then they just make a joke of it. Or, you know, sometimes it doesn't illuminate much where when they were younger, you'd actually find out some things about their day. Yeah. So I want to switch and start to like transition into this conversation at dinner. I love yeah. that suggestion.
2: I do too. And I have a, I, so I'm still stuck on the fear, hurt, anger, sadness oh, piece sure. of it. Okay. So, yeah. so when you're doing this every day, Day or every dinner, let's yeah. say There's they're coming up know. with that's something a, from uh, that's their an day. ideal,
0: right? Like every okay, day is an so idea,
2: but of course one time, whatever it is, <laughs> you you come up with they have to come up with the four those four things and then just one joyful enjoy. thing. Yeah, right. No, but can, I'm it, just saying, like, what if what if your oh, day didn't God. have any fear or anger in it? Like, are you well, assuming everybody's hate, right? day has fear and anger in it?
0: I'm not assuming it. I know it right like this this is where you know the science of our emotions and so much you know there's now there's like plenty of research to back up the fact that we're you know we've learned how to manage our emotions and we've learned to like block them in so many ways that we don't realize like in every you know second like i've been through every one of those five feelings in our time together right and i think i mentioned it before we started like No matter how many of these do, I'm always, I'm always scared, you know, and always have some fear, but just by naming that, um, I then felt more present and at ease with myself. Um, and, and sometimes they would have a hard time finding it, you know, and, but that's, that's the beauty of it, right? Like we know, and I would always know that I did and they did, um, because we're, we're, we're feeling machines, you know, it's part of our physiology. We're all, we make, we can't make decisions without emotions. We're, we're having them all the time. We're just, it's an awareness that once we, you know, bring it to the forefront and, you know, and some of them in our upbringings have been okay, some not. So, you know, someone may be able to name certain ones very easily and other ones like, nope, didn't have it. It's like, no, nope, you just are blocking it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Interesting.
1: I think it's important. I, I can see what you're saying. I mean, when I bring this up, I'm sure I'm going to get a little backlash, right? Oh, for sure. And, and believe me, but. my daughters
0: did. They weren't always the, I, some families, some of the kids are like, let's do it. Whatever. My kids were all usually like, oh, you know, I would get the eye rolls, yeah. I'd get yeah. this, but then we would do it and every time. Like everyone would be like a little happier. And, you know, I, and I didn't know if later how they would think of it and appreciate it, but we have been vindicated with them as young adults <laughs> and that to appreciate it and have one daughter even write like a college, one of her college papers on it. You know, I hated doing that thing, but wow, like now I'm really seeing the benefit, you know,
1: and things right. like that. Well, I think we mask our, in kids, we, we suppress emotions. Like, I don't know that they will fully understand, you know, when something big happens, they understand when they're hurt or they're scared. But like you said, these are all emotions that we're experiencing on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And I think for some people too, and maybe it's just, you know, like I have one, two boys and one girl and they're all different. And I know that they're experiencing some of these things, like you said, but they will never admit it. They don't even realize or recognize it. Right. They're, because And we're kind of numbing a little bit too. And I think maybe social media mm-hmm. and being on screens, like there's a lot I'm sure that goes into it. So I think this is really, this could be really powerful.
0: hmm
2: yeah, we'll have to experiment the, and, and yeah. report back to you. Oh, I would that love that. Families.
0: I, I <laughs> yes. hope. I really hope to hear how that goes um, and what some of the reactions are and what you, what you learn. And that's the beautiful thing. It's all like you know. It'll it'll reflect something and data. There's no lose uh, in trying. You know it because we'll we'll get to see.
1: I'm all about doing science experiments, whether it's <laughs> food or this type of thing. So my yeah, kids it's are used to me coming Psychological experiment, right? Yes. Yes. Can we change gears a little bit and talk about brain sex and the neuroscience of feminine power? We'd love to hear and learn a little bit more about this. I
0: know it's such a like sexy title, right? Brain sex. Um, (laughs) But what that's all and masculine feminine power. So I always like to preempt that with, you know, we're we're talking, we're not talking gender so much um, or male, female, quite so much. Although, You know, there's a lot of science that show that women's brains and men's brains are different, right? So our our brains and how we're wired through evolution, you know, for survival reasons, have been wired um, in different ways. And it's only you know that research has had been around a lot longer uh, than it was actually brought to the forefront because it's you know it it shakes up and breaks some of the beliefs we have about masculine power and feminine power. And we live, you know, I think we can all, I don't think there are that many people that would disagree that we live in an over-masculine valued world, you know, but for sure our culture, our Western and American culture is, you know, way over values masculine thinking, masculine ways of being versus the feminine. You know, and that's some of what we've been talking about, right? Mothering with caring and um, if you think circular versus linear and logic, uh, versus, um, intuition, you know, so if you, if we just even name some of these masculine feminine qualities, but it turns out that science, um, has shown differences in our brains. And so for example, one is, um, that the corpus callosum the the wiring between the right and left brain, we have a lot more, um. Connectivity between the two, right? So we are able to multitask uh, better than men. You know, we can hear a lot of conversations. I don't know if you've ever noticed, like when a group of women and together, like we don't all have to take turns talking. Like, you know, and the conversation is a bit circular, and it's like so you're talking about this, oh, now we're back to this, and oh, this, but and you can hear everybody. You know, that's you know that's partly because of our wiring. You know, and if we think about, and some of them make so much sense too, if we think about our senses that are different, um, I love some of these because they really can make a difference in, in relationship with men, both, you know, in your relationship, but even business wise, when we understand some of these things. So, you know, if you think evolutionarily, you know, men as hunters, because there was it, often that division of labor more, um, that uh to hunt you know you had to focus you know you had to, your sight only you know was limited so that you could really focus in and and do that job whereas women as gatherers you know we you know we're, we our peripheral vision is is much wider um so a couple of fun things about that are uh so you know we'll ask i'll ask people you know who do you think ogles the opposite sex more men or women right? And uh, the studies show that women actually do it more. Uh, They just don't get caught. And that's because we have this like huge periphery vision. So I can be looking at you two on the screen, but like over here is this cute guy that I'm checking out, Uh, but no one would ever know because I can see him and like, whoa, whereas a, a guy has to like literally, you know, look that way. And I know some of these like seem kind of silly, but they you know, in relationship, these can cause issues, you know, and hearing, you know, when you think about mothering children, like our, when, well, this is kind of hearing in our consciousness, like when a, and also explains like, you know, a lot for women, which is that at rest, you know, a a man's brain is like uh, 70% at rest. um, And, you know, with a 30% kind of consciousness, at the most, whereas a woman's brain is like 90% still active and 10% resting, right? So we hear the baby cry and they're like, what?
2: I didn't, you know, I, you I didn't hear anything. Tr- I mean, yeah. it's, that's so true. <laughs> that's so true on like a daily basis in the yes. house. I mean, it's- <laughs> too. I, mean I, I, I love hearing that backed by science. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know, isn't it? It makes me and feel It's not so excuses,
0: better. but it helps us like understand and know what we need to do to like, I'll name one other one because I love this one, which is, um, he, in, in when I said this about men being focused, right? So when a man is like at the computer or reading, you know, or, or on his phone, he's literally like seventy percent deaf, right? <laughs> yeah.
2: I think it's more like ninety. I think it <laughs> I might know. be ninety,
0: right? I think so too. Which is like why you're over here and you're like, da, 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 like I can't, you know, and. Why don't you pay attention to me and all those things that start coming up? Yes. Why can't you you have to like literally get in front of them or put the paper down and say as soon as you're done with that I have something to say and and uh, it's not like they can't work on it too but you get to like discover things about each other and um, you know but it's, uh, some of that is just to illuminate there's just so many aspects of us as women and what we value and how we operate or feminine thinking and values. And we're seeing that in our world, in our country, right? Like, you know, it's not just like women deserve to be equal. It's like, no, we absolutely have to have these two kinds of relating and thinking, working synergistically for, you know, for us to make any headway. And we're seeing that proven, right? We're seeing the women in leadership and as how adding women is making companies, you know, allowing companies to do better, you know, than, mm-hmm. than before for different reasons, right? They're, it's, so it's not man bashing or negating that. We're just got to bring the two back more in balance and and us. And that takes us, you know, really believing that these superpowers that we have really do have value and, you know, and I take
2: some work. I was also going to say, I think just understanding what you just said and knowing how, you know, a man's brain and a woman's brain can, can work together and collaboration instead of, you know, fighting one another. I think just having that understanding is super helpful. I mean, yesterday my husband was literally on his phone and I was like jumping in front of him. I'm not even kidding. I was like, hello, do you hear me? Like, hello? Cause he was like, I was talking and he was not responding. (laughs) And I was like, do you even hear me?
0: Right. But we'll take that personally. And then we'll think like, we don't matter. And, you know, we have then all these other beliefs that that's affirming as opposed to like, no, I, you know, I'm going to make myself heard and we're going to, you know, we're going to work this out.
1: Right. And I love hearing that because my my husband can just tune stuff out. I'm talking to him. He's like, oh, well, after you said, I don't have to worry about, you know, dropping someone (laughs) off or a carpool. I didn't listen to anything else you said. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm still talking. We're still having a conversation. (laughs) So but the logistical is- part of
0: it's done and you know, yeah. And, and yeah. we're more emotional and, but, you know, men need us to like help bring them to their emotions, you know, and we need to value them and kind of lead the way in that perspective, because obviously there's a lot of beliefs amongst all of us around why they are and aren't okay.
2: And yeah. sometimes I need them. I need him to take me out of my emotions, right? Like and remind ground me, you know, what my, ground me. And, this is too. Yeah. You're thinking about this too emotionally, and yep. you know, let's think about this reasonably. Exactly.
0: So there really 100%. is that
2: give and take.
0: And and also, you know, I, I've worked with a lot of couples that need to make kind of guidelines or agreements that sometimes when I just want to express, um, I'm not looking to get it fixed. I, you know, women work things out by talking and expressing sometimes. And so, uh, you know, the, the man can kind of know that and say, all right, is this one of those times you just need me to listen? Or are you looking for like help to strategize and fix this? So then we're not getting mad. Like, why do you always like, why, why are you cutting me off? Or why do you have to, you know, just fix this. I just want to, I just want you to listen to me, but they can, you know, you can coordinate that together better.
2: That's where the girlfriends come in, in my life. Yep. Right. That's <laughs> <laughs> true.
0: That right. We Absolutely. hundred percent.
1: Well, Gertrude, as we start to wrap up this um, sure. awesome conversation, can you tell people where they can find you social media, your website? Oh. I know you have a podcast.
0: I do. I have all of those, and they're all very similar. So um, on Instagram, I'm at Dr. Gertrude Lyons, and my website is www.drgertrudelions and um, it's drgertrudelions dot My podcast is Rewrite the Mother Code with Dr. Gertrude Lyons. Uh, so those are all three ways that you know you can find me socially. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, as Dr. Gert- <laughs> <laughs> you know, search, search <laughs> any we'll, said, you should find me, right? Um, in that regard for sure. And we'll link all that up in the show notes too. That would be awesome. Yeah. Um yeah.
2: and as we wrap up, one question we like to ask all of our guests is what does the art of living well mean to you? Yeah, you
0: know, I've won a couple ways when I when I thought about that, because there's the art adding the art of, you know, there's living well, and that can take a lot of, you know, directions like our Like physically living well, emotionally, spiritually, and but adding the art of it, I think for me, that means my um, authoring ownership, you know, as the artist, you know, designing, weaving, crafting. um, But I'm 100% responsible, you know, for this well living and and to then see it as, you know, the good the bad and the ugly we've kind of talked a little bit about my journey that all of that is beautiful when you see it you know in in one piece you know and i the image that came to mind when i thought of it too was was literally the grand canyon and you know it's this beautiful art in nature and it's lived well through millennium and it's carved you know the the weathering of it and what it's gone through is what's made it so beautiful so i think you know living well is is our wounds it's what's beautiful it's you know how we take care of ourselves it's it's the whole picture.
1: Oh, I love that. It's beautiful mm. that analogy that you gave with the Grand Canyon. Yeah. I mean we ask this question of everyone and I, we love everyone's response cuz they're all unique but that really took it to another level. So Yay. and I also love Need how, how you that.
2: I also oh. yes, thank you. That I agree with Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> and I love how you said that you're the author and you're creating.
0: I'm responsible,
1: you know, you're responsible,
0: exactly, which is great and challenging sometimes,
1: right? (laughs) Well, but if you're not feeling like you're living well, then what can you do about it? You know, exactly. I don't yeah, and don't dwell on the challenges and your journey and the things that have been difficult. That's what's shaped you who you are, like the Grand Canyon analogy. So yeah,
2: totally. Yeah. Thank you so much. We oh my gosh, loved this has been having such
0: you. A treat. I love being with the two of you. I don't want to go, but yes. Uh. <laughs> I know.
1: Well, well, we'll have you back out again. Yes.
0: <laughs> well, I would love that. And yes, you'll expect invitations. I hope that maybe someday you would be on mine as well. We,
1: oh, we would, would love, love that. It. Yeah. <laughs> that well, have a wonderful day, Gertrude.
2: Thank you so much for listening to the Art of Living Well podcast.